What is going on, Wolfpack? It's your boy, the Wolf of Roto Street, here of the RotoStreetJournal.com with another episode of the Fantasy Fullback Dive, the podcast that paves your path to 2019 titles. And again, I am going to be joined by Sammy of the Draft Room Podcast at Draft Room Pod, another fantastic bold predictions episode. Last time, if you missed it, we did wide receivers and QBs, some insane stuff on Kyler Murray. I won't even get into the list. It's just too much. Make sure you go back to last episode, ffbdpod.com, um, and check out the show notes and the, the episode there. But we're getting into my favorite position, the, the position I'm historically best at predicting, and that's running backs today, along with some tight end predictions. The heat is just as high as always, and you know Sammy, if you heard last time, brings tons of stats to his takes. You know I'm not going without reasoning into mine. We agree on some of these and build each other's points. We disagree on plenty more. Uh, some great debates, some great predictions. Tune in live now and let me know your thoughts at Roto Street Wolf on Twitter, please. Fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Final Oh, welcome back, guys. It's Summy, and we've got Nick back here. Nick Trakoff, the Wolf from Roto Street Journal, coming back to join us for the second part of our bold predictions episode. What's up, Nick? No, not too much, man. Happy Sunday, happy weekend. Excited to get back on the bold prediction train with you. Love the last episode. And, yeah, and man. Running backs are my favorite position too, so I'm happy to get to the running backs. Love tight ends too, so it, it'll be a fun one. Tight ends are like the interesting one where you you make the right bold prediction and you gain that edge. It could be huge. And both of us have a couple guys that aren't in that Travis Kelsey tier yet. That I, I like yours a lot too. I just ready ready oh, to yeah. get into this. I'm ready for a good bold prediction episode, man. I always enjoy going with you. Oh yeah, man. Uh, I know a lot of people. You know, they had a lot of feedback from our from our quarterbacks and wide receivers episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, really positive feedback. So thanks so much for that, guys. Um, but Nick, yeah, let the people know where they can find you, where they can listen to your, the the Fantasy Fullback Dive podcast. Let them know. Absolutely, Fantasy Fullback Dive is the the uh, podcast that will pave your path to 2019 titles. FFBDPod.com is where you can find my podcast. It's a product of Roto Street Journal, RotoStreetJournal.com. On all your social medias, just search Roto Street Journal. We'll be there. And me personally is at Roto Street Wolf on Twitter. So hit me up. I love chatting. And as I mentioned, if you first heard it last time, I got a couple of new followers that said they were teachers as well, which is awesome. I'm a teacher. I'm on summer break, so this is kind of my my zen where I have a lot of time and I can. And just ch- chat and interact with all you guys. So please make sure to reach out. Find me at Roto Street Wolf. Would love to chat with any of you. That's awesome. And, man. and you as well. Where, where can my listeners? Because we're going to play this audio on my podcast too, just exactly. to make sure they can connect with you. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks so much for that. So uh, I'm Draft Room Podcast uh, on all your listening platforms. So whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it, it's Draft Room Podcast. Go ahead and leave a review, leave a comment if you if you like the stats that I bring, if you like the the correlative metrics, because that's really what I'm all about. Nick is it's really about mm-hmm. correlating those those relevant stats that indicate success year over year. So you won't hear me talking about yards per carry. You won't hear right. me talking about anything like that too much, just because it's 
it's descriptive and not really predictive. So that's mm-hmm. really what we focus on here. But uh, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm always dropping nuggets of information. That's at uh, DraftRoomPod on both of those platforms. Uh, a lot of my listeners, you know, they seem to get a lot of value off the little stats that I do drop. Mm-hmm. And I'm always constantly interacting, just like you, Nick, always contra- constantly interacting with my audience. Awesome. Uh, answering questions, things like that. But really excited to jump into this this show with you. I love running backs too. I think that's uh, everyone's favorite fantasy position. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to kind of start it off here, right, with a, with a, with the first bold <laughs> prediction. And this is a bold prediction that I kind of posted on my Instagram, and my Twitter. So if you follow me there, you definitely heard it first. But the bold prediction is that Le'Veon Bell is going to finish outside of the top twelve at the position. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Just like first, first glance, like what? What are your, th- what are your thoughts? It, it's hard to think because he's been, you know, consensus one or two for so many years um, that it's hard to even imagine him outside the top ten. Never mind, you know, an RB one. You're saying he's not going to be a number one running back. It is tough to picture that. I can understand some of the hesitation. I mean, the Pittsburgh role was so invaluable that offense when we. As, as if this is your first time listening to me, I always emphasize the fantasy stock formula, um, and, and a big part of that is surrounding talent. It's one of those indicators we think creates value, and of course, that the surrounding talent hit going from Pittsburgh, where the line was beastly, where the, you had you know Antonio Brown and Juju on the outside uh, taking up defenders. Um, and, and all that, and now going to New York, where it's a lot more of a question mark. What is Sam Darnold going to be? What are those outside receivers going to be? That line is pretty damn atrocious, and they haven't really made too many additions to it. So I can see why he'd drop. I still personally, I'm excited to hear why you have him outside your top 12, because I think he's going to see enough volume, um, and I think Sam Darnold will be good enough to keep the offense productive that he'll still be a top 7 or 8 guy. I think I have him as my RB8 right now. Um, so I'm I'm intrigued to see what you think will have him drop so, so far. Uh, but I do definitely have him knocked down from that top one or two pedestal he's been for so long. Um, yeah. And I have some interesting stats about Adam Gase and different things I'd love to dive into. But I do want to hear your take first because this is your bold prediction. For sure. Why, for why sure, are for you sure. so down on Le'Veon? Let's hear it. <laughs> All right, so uh, the one thing that you stated starting off when I asked you, you said it's it's hard to imagine outside of the top 12 just because he has been so dominant. Mm-hmm. Completely agree, man. Like, the guy's talented. Um, that There's no question about that where if the guy does get the workload, we know he's going to beast, right? Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. That's, that's kind of what the whole fantasy community is taking it as where, oh, he's been dominant, so he will be dominant. That's not really true because if you look at his time in Pittsburgh, right, not just the line but also the volume that he got, Nick, from 2013 to 2017, he was seeing 19.8 touches per game, and he got 94 or more targets in three out of five years. And out of those three years, he actually got more than 100 targets. And he was averaging 6.4 targets a game in Pittsburgh, right? So that level of involvement, let's, let's try to translate that and what that means for Gase's offense. So Gase with Miami, the last three years, mm. Miami's ranked 18th, 32nd, 25th in terms of rushing volume. A lot of, vo- like a lot of those running backs that were under him in, uh, in Denver and in Miami, like Noshan, C.J. Anderson, Ronnie Hillman, all those guys, nobody under Adam Gase's tutelage has passed the 19.8 touches per game that Le'Veon Bell had from 2013 to 2017. So if you go back to 2013, you look at Noshan Moreno, 15 touches a game. He had 74 targets, which was, by the way, the highest target volume that any of Gase's running backs have ever had. 2014, CJ Anderson, Ronnie Hillman, they kind of formed a committee. None of them really got too much work. I think uh, the, the lead was like 11 point something uh, touches per game there. But then you look at 2015 in Chicago, Matt Forte, 16, 16.8 touches a game. And then Miami, 
Jay Ajayi, 17.3 touches a game in 2016. 2017, only through seven games before Ajayi tore his ACL, was he getting 19.7 touches per game. So that's just under the 19.8. And, of course, that's over a seven-game period. So that's not a full-season workload. And then 2018, obviously, we know what happened with Gore and Drake last year where Gore was seeing only 11 touches a game. Drake actually had 73 targets that year, uh, last year. But, like, other factors combined into that, though, Nick, the guy hasn't played football. He hasn't played down in over a year and a half, mm-hmm. right? Like you mentioned, this O-line is really questionable at best, especially the fact that they don't have a center and you really need a good center to pull off that zone blocking scheme that Gase really loves to have. Um, you really need an athletic center that can get to the second level and make blocks uh, you know, ahead of Le'Veon Bell as he's running. And I don't think they have a guy that, that can do that right now for them. And then you just look at Gase's history of utilizing a committee when he has it available. And then you look at the roster now where they have Elijah McGuire, Ty Montgomery, Trenton Cannon, Bilal Powell even is back. So with combine that with like the clear content that Adam Gase has for Le'Veon Bell's contract, you know the GM's no longer there. Uh, Gase is kind of the guy pulling the strings now. You look at Le'Veon Bell's current ADP of round one, pick ten, RB eight. I don't think he's going to return that value just given Gase's history and given his uh, given the volume that is back seat. Yeah, I would say the biggest counters to any of that uh, is one, just none of those guys you mentioned, whether Moreno, Ajayi, any of those guys. Forte is great too, but even still, I don't know if any of those guys are on Le'Veon Bell's level. I mean, when he's on the field, there's nobody that can do the versatile things this guy does. He's probably, in my opinion, the best pass catching back in the league. Still a big, thick guy that can handle 20-plus touches. I mean, that's the Le'Veon Bell like workhorse. That's that's the pinnacle workhorse. And, I mean, yeah, nobody else has matched his 19.8 touches per game, but this is a guy that's led the league in touches multiple years, and that's kind of his his thing, his style of game. And I can't imagine a team shells out the amount of money that I get that the GM's gone now. And that's one of the things that has me most worried is like Gase has that comments about how I uh, you know I would, would never put that money on Bell and all those kind of yep. weird tension type building things. I don't like that. That makes me nervous too. I get that. Yeah. But I mean to think about what some of those guys did. I get they didn't average the volume that Bell did, but they still had I have the the list of stats. I mean Moreno almost 1600 total yards, 13 total TDs, Anderson 1200 total yards, 10 TDs and only 7 starts. Forte, 1,300 yards, 7 TDs in only 13 games. So you, you extrapolate that. It's a pretty good pace. Ajayi, 1,400 total yards, 8 TDs. Those are all still pretty damn good stat lines. I would like to know like where those actually ended up lining up in terms of was it top 12 numbers. But those are pretty good numbers from much lesser talents, in my opinion, than Le'Veon Bell, um, who is that kind of pinnacle-style workhorse. And Gase has, I mean, he has commented before, this offense is most dangerous when we have a, a three-down back. You don't need to substitute. I don't like to take guys out so yes he's lately done committees with Gore and Drake um, and it's kind of made us have this gross taste in our fantasy mouth but he's never had that type of Le'Veon Bell just uh, what he has had a guy that could be as versatile as Bell he has given him I, I mean those touches were yes under the 19.8 but still 17-18 touches a game especially for a guy like Bell he'd do a lot of damage with this the one other 
other thing I wanted to point out too about the line, um, an interesting stat I found on them. Yes, they were horrendous, yep. 25th ranked uh, in 2018, the 30th ranked in 2017. They've been awful for two straight years. But one run that they've actually been really strong at is the outside zone run. Uh, they Their backs, I forget, this is pro football focus I found this. Their backs mm-hmm. averaged 2. 7, 2.07 yards before contact on outside zone runs, which was the best in the league. And obviously, if you're crafting your run game around Le'Veon Bell, I mean, nobody's better at a zone run than this guy with the patience and vision he brings to the table. So you hope Adam Gase recognizes that. They did bring in a, a beastly offensive guard in Kalisha Miley from the Raiders so yep. you hope they take a nice step forward and they kind of match what they do well to the strengths of the running back as well and I think even if he doesn't get that 20-ish touches per game he was getting in Pittsburgh he won't and, and nobody does that's such a valuable role that Pittsburgh will oh, yeah. I still think 17 18 or so this offense takes a decent step forward under Donald that'll be enough with a guy of Bell's talent to at least keep him inside my top 10 so far so we'll see but that, that's where I stand on him yeah, no, I totally get that. And, you know, it's good that you brought up the outside zone run because the outside zone run blocking scheme, it's 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 a lot more difficult for an inexperienced center to pull off, a guy sure. that's not as athletic. So I think that's the biggest concern. Like, people don't realize how important that center position is in mm-hmm. that zone blocking scheme, especially if it's an outside, outside zone blocking scheme. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like you had mentioned how, you know, Drake really uh, – I mean, uh, I'm sorry, Gase hasn't really had uh, backs to utilize. I mean, I'd argue that Forte is – Pretty much where Le'Veon Bell was. And Forte, I think that year, finished as the RB12, actually, in Chicago uh, under right. Gase uh, and half PPR. Um, but I think was the that in, thing— Do you mind if I ask, was that in points per game or was that in overall? Because I know he only played 13 games that year. So is yep. that 12th in points per game or 12th like overall? Because that's pretty impressive cool. in 13 games to finish as actually, the RB12. You're absolutely right. He did not finish as the RB12. He finished as the RB1, 2, 3, 4, 17, sorry. And it was 12 in points per game or something 12 like that. And 12, yeah, 12 yeah, in points gotcha. per game. Gotcha, okay. Yep, yep. Gotcha. So, um, listen, he can still be productive. I just think the value of, you know, RB8 at the back of the first round, I don't think that's an appropriate – like, for me, I wouldn't I wouldn't reach for Bell. I would personally mm-hmm. want to grab him in, like, middle second, back second. And I know for a fact he's not falling that far just because of the right. name value. Who are some guys you're looking at where Bell kind of goes that you'd take instead of him? Great question. So around him, you have guys like Joe Mixon going right before him. I, I'm yep. with you there. Yep, check that. Yep. We're in agreement there. Absolutely. James Conner is a little bit shaky to me just because, yeah. you know, Jalen Samuels, Benny Snell, we don't know mm-hmm. for a fact if he's going to have that locked and loaded workload. But a guy that we're going to talk about in just a second, one of your bold predictions, yeah, um, I'll let the audience quick. figure Perfect. it out. Perfect, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll let the audience figure this out. But I'd be more than happy taking this next guy Interesting. here okay. over Le'Veon Bell. Okay. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. Should we, should we go right into this guy then? My Tell the people who the guy is. Yeah. Uh, and, and I know that your listeners are a huge fan of this, or at least they know you're a huge fan of this guy. I'm a diehard fan of this guy, and I want to just reiterate, it's Dalvin Cook, and I say my bold prediction, if he stays healthy, he's going to easily top 2,000 total rushing and receiving yards because he's the perfect fit for Kubiak's zone blocking scheme. I'm a I'm diehard fan of Dalvin Cook. I'll get the ugly out of the way. Of course, the injuries are a huge concern. He missed 
almost all of his rookie campaign outside of three games. He missed a ton of time last year. And that that has to give you pause for concern. Is he, Am I going to put this early second-round pick into a guy that's only going to give me half a season or so? And there's not a great counter to that other than he, he was mostly healthy through college. Some of these, you know, ACLs and ACL, the, the modern science, you can come back from a lot more. Last year, you know, you're, you're focused on recovering and rehabbing, and it sometimes might take that full year to get a, a get yourself back under, you, you know, your legs back under you. And I feel like yep. we saw Cook finally get himself together over that last stretch of the season, especially when they got rid of uh, DeFilippo and went to Stefanski and became a little more run-heavy and started to feature Cook. That's when we started to get a taste of, okay, this is what this guy can truly do. So I judge him a lot more based on the last couple games of last season than I do because that was a lot more com- comparable to those early rookie games. So I just right. see this guy that dominated – uh, you know, when he got the touches, was getting a ton of touches and seemed like that next prototypical workhorse guy that that would be a featured offense. And then you get Gary Kubiak coming in, who couldn't be better as a, a bell crow breeder. I did it out. I looked at 22 seasons of Gary Kubiak stats, literally wow. listed out every single running back. Seasons. 22 seasons. Yeah, I had a wow. <laughs> my girlfriend, want to come to dinner? Yeah, I'll be right there. Just got a couple <laughs> notes I got to take care of. 22 seasons, like January. I'm looking at Gary Kubiak's running backs. Kind of a psycho I am. But... <laughs> 22 seasons, 15 of them have topped 1,200 yards from scrimmage. Over 13 have been over 1,480. 10 have been over 1,600. So nearly half have gone for 1,600 or more total yards. And seven have been over 1,800. And wow. when you look at that, so there's so that, again, 15 of 22. And five of those seven misses were were injury-related, whether it was somebody getting hurt and they were dominating and whatnot. When you gave this guy a, a supreme talent, Gary Kubiak, you know, we're talking about Terrell Davis, Clinton Portis, Arian Foster, all yep. of those guys went for 900 total and 18-plus TD monsters. And, wow. and you still had no names, you know, Olandis Gary, Mike Anderson, Ruben Drones, Steve Slayton topping 1,510 TDs. So you, you give me a Dalvin Cook, and this guy, I, I'd say, is much closer to the Clinton Portises and Arian Fosters. Not as proven and hasn't shown that he can be those guys over a full season yet but in the flashes he just looks much more uh, not like a pedestrian like a Mike Anderson like an Orlando Scary. he looks much more elite and, and level of the Terrell Davis Clinton Portises if he can put it all together so that's why I think is as long as we get 16 I look for those guys where it's every other box checks other than risk because once you know if he does have that full 16 I think we all forget about the fact that he had those two you know really cut down short beginning of his campaign I think this could be the year that really launches him into like, all right, Dalvin Cook is one of the best backs in the league. He's in the perfect scheme to show that. Uh, And and by this time next year, we're all taking him in the the top five or so of our fantasy drafts. Yep. And, you know, just circling back around to those injuries there. So the first year, obviously, towards ACL. Yeah. And the second year, last year, I mean, it was a hamstring injury that really stemmed from that ACL recovery, right? Yeah. It, was, it wasn't like you can't label the guy as injury prone. Like, just because a guy goes down with an ACL tear doesn't make him injury prone automatically. Like, that stuff right. happens, right? Yeah. I get it. It was uh, – I believe it was non-contact. We were trying to make a cut. It was, um, yeah. Right. And what was it like week four week? Yeah, I think it was yeah, week, week four, four that he went yeah. down. Right. Uh, it was devastating to see, man. But like last mm. year, I know a lot of people were expecting really big things. And, you know, I think the people that aren't going to draft Dal- Dalvin Cook are the ones that have really gotten burned from him yeah. uh, over the last two years. But I want you guys to know, listen, there's no risk of re-injury here. He's more than a year 
uh, almost two years removed from that ACL tear. Uh, more, almost, he's going to be a year removed from that hamstring injury. And, I mean, if you look at weeks 11 to 16 last year, he was the RB9, and that was with Kevin Stefanski. That wasn't even with uh, Gary Kubiak. So mm-hmm. I think the addition of Gary Kubiak as an offensive consultant, I think a lot of people are underestimating his role in that offense and, and the, the type of modeling that they're going to take from his game. Um, and apply that to Dalvin Cook. So I, I'm right there with you, man. Dalvin Cook is actually my sixth-ranked running back heading into oh, next wow, year. Oh, nice. So he, I'm, I'm really high on him. You know, I, I try to hedge my bet here where I didn't put him in the top five just in case, yeah. but I'm extremely high on him there. And I think one other thing to mention with him too I completely forgot was a major concern was the line. And I'm not saying overnight they're going to be a million times better, but they did spend the 18th overall pick, their first-round pick on Garrett Bradbury, a very athletic center. The whole thing on him was he he moves well. He's an excellent run blocker. And literally our guy Dane Brugler, who we love, said like would be ideal fitting for a zone type of blocking scheme, which is, of course, what Gary Kubiak makes his money on is the zone blocking. So just to add just a little bit of line could make that huge. You can now take the center and move him to guard, and it gives you a little more flexibility. Um, and Gary Kubiak's made a ton of magic out of horrendous lines in the first place. So just to have a, a little bit yep. more of that added on, he's always he also has a good history of throwing to his running backs too. A uh, bunch of I, I think six of his last nine have caught at least forty balls. And Cook wow. had I mean, forty receptions last year, and that was in this awful kind of scheme while he's injured and for you know only played eleven games too. So I, I'm a yep. big fan of that. And you mentioned Stefanski. The last thing here is they went from a 67% pass to 52% pass ratio when they switched from DeFilippo to Stefanski. So I think he's fully on board with that Gary Kubiak, which is historically right around a 50-50 balance. It's not going to be a thing where, you know, Stefanski is technically the OC, whereas Kubiak's the advisor. But they seem very aligned. You know, you got Mike Zimmer as the head coach, a defensive-minded guy. They kind of all just want to feature that run, and they really haven't added much. I've seen a couple people mention, oh, well, now Alex Madison. Yeah, it's a fourth-round rookie. Definitely gives you a nice little handcuff option, but they have not given him any real competition. So clearly they believe in him right now, right? Like it's They're they're all in on Cook, it seems. It's a run-focused offense, and they haven't really done anything other than beef up the line and and bring in run-centric minds. Yep. And uh, Alexander Madison, I think, is a really, really good handcuff to Cook should anything mm-hmm. happen. But again, it's not a threat to like his primary workload. I don't, I don't see him so being a threat. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just not going to be just because he does like to feature a workhorse. Gary Kubiak does. So uh, yeah. all on board right there with you, Nick. I mean, I love I love Dalvin Cook this year. Let me ask you a question, though. Sure. If it if you had to choose between Dalvin Cook at the 204 going as the RB10 right now mm-hmm. or another injury prone guy in Leonard Fournette who's going around later at the 301, who would you want to lean with there? Definitely Dalvin Cook. I just think the talent when I've watched them play. Like Before I had some beastly runs as a rookie and really did look like a monster at times. But his injuries history dates back to college, and it's more of like the, the foot and the ankle and the stuff that you just see constantly recurring. And and then you look at him, John DeFilippo, we just were kind of shitting on him <laughs> being too pass-heavy. That's now yep. the offensive coordinator in the Jacksonville scheme. So it's like, I, to me, there's so many more boxes checking for Cook in terms of I like the talent better. I think the scheme's going to be better fitting. I like the overall team and the, the scoring touches he's going to potentially have. It's just yep. all that checks off so much better for Cook that I'm much more willing to take that one-plus round 
earlier investment on him than, say, a, a Fournette. I'm not out on Fournette, but I think often when Fournette goes to, there's guys like Devonta Freeman or sometimes Josh Jacobs as a rookie falls. I could see myself eventually taking David Montgomery, even though he's going around five right now, maybe by drafting, even That's if he's going steal. around three. I, 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 I know the fact that he That's falls like five and six blows my mind. I, I could see it. him jumping up to around three or four by the time people realize how much of a workhorse that guy's going to be. But yeah. I just, I, I'm not necessarily avoiding Fournette. He's just a guy I don't see being on a lot of my teams this year. Uh, whereas Cook, I, I am targeting right there in round two. I would love to have him this year. Yep, yep. And I totally agree with you because like guys around Fournette even are like Marlon Mack, Aaron Jones, and also a third guy who I would hands down take over Fournette. Um, I would take this guy over probably a lot of these backs in this range, including Marlon Mack. Mm-hmm. Maybe not Aaron Jones, but I take this next guy over Fournette hands down. Uh, and I'm t- <laughs> I'm talking about Carryon Johnson. All right, Nick, this is this Here is the comes. guy that this is the guy <laughs> that you've been waiting for. Right? You don't understand my love for him, and a lot of people don't really understand my love for him. Right? I, I'm Let excited to hear it. I really am. I can't wait for this. I love one, this. Man. Yeah. I, Listen, so with Carryon Johnson, right, Mm -hmm. he got a split workload in the beginning. He was being integrated to the offense with a team that's historically not known for running the ball, right? Mm -hmm. Took him three weeks. Took him three weeks to rush for 100 yards and break that record. Um, I I forgot exactly how long uh, the record was. Uh, I think it was with... uh, uh, who was that? Who was the last rusher that, that rushed for uh, over 100 yards? Would you it remember? have been Joyke Bell, maybe? I, I, I can't no, even no, remember. No. It was even further back than that. Like, anyway. B- Barry Sanders, probably. Like. Barry, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. like back in like, the 60s, right? Back yeah. in like, the 70s. But no, yeah. no. So with Carryon Johnson, the biggest thing here, right, is you have to look at the, the moves that these, uh, these teams are making on their rosters. Let's take mm-hmm. a look at some of the receivers, some of the tight ends that these guys have added. You look at Tommy Lee Lewis. You look at Danny Amendola, who has history with Matt Patricia. Some of those short, quicker passing route guys, you know, the guys that can run out into the flat, quick crossers. Then you look at what they did in the draft and what they did in free agency, with the tight ends especially. I mean, they have Logan Thomas there, who they signed from Buffalo, who's primarily been a blocking tight end. Mm -hmm. Jesse James, who's primarily been a blocking tight end in Pittsburgh. Isaac Nauta, who they drafted in the seventh round. And do you remember their first pick in the draft there, Nick? Do you remember who they took? Yeah, uh, they took obviously Hawkinson, right? Yeah, uh, the man, the, the man, Hawk, the myth, yeah. the legend. This guy, this guy puts defenders in the dirt. Yeah, he's a great run blocker. I'll give you that for sure. He he's a Gronk level run yeah. blocker. Yeah, and I think he could develop into. Uh, I think the comparisons to Gronk are pretty fair here as well, where you know he does have the pass catching skill set. But they drafted this guy eighth overall. I think that indicates a lot to what what they want to do with this team, especially because they brought in a guy like Daryl Bevel as well. And Daryl Bevel, if you guys don't know, he was the offensive coordinator for Minnesota and for Seattle from 2006 to 2015. All right, I'm going to dive into his stats really quickly. I'm going to show you his historical metrics and his uh, his volume that's given to his, his workhorse running backs. So the total rushing attempts by by his teams have been about 488 total team rushing attempts Mm -hmm. the average lead running back volume out of that has been 60 percent 60 percent of that workload goes to that lead back that's 292 carries Mm -hmm. i get it he had hall of famers and marshawn lynch he had adrian peterson i totally get it those guys those guys are definitely workhorses i'm not saying that carry on is gonna see 292 carries for sure i'm not saying that but what i am saying is that if you look at the volume just by itself this team is going to be a top five rushing attack number one and Carrion just really needs to see about 50% of that workload to, to cross that 300-plus threshold of touches. And if you can get that 300-plus touches in right now the back of the third round, 
I mean, you're you're just kind of stealing candy from a baby at that point. I mean, I, what are your thoughts on that? If if he gets 300 touches, then I'm I'll be all in. I I will be with you cuz I think we chatted about this last time. Like this is a talent I believe in. When I watched him play, very impressed. Um and if he was to get if you told me Carryon Johnson's getting 300 touches this year, then I'm with you. I I will believe it and I get Bevel has that run centric history he's had I saw a stat earlier and I was like I thought every time I see something about carry on Johnson I always think of you right away <laughs> just tag just tag me bro and everything I, I need to start yeah but it was uh, as Bevel's had a running back carry it at least 280 times in eight of 12 seasons as a play caller so I mean yes the Bevel is run heavy I can't argue that and I think that's a huge reason why carry on could break out but it's I think Bevel and carry on and, and in light of that, are going to be anchored by the fact that Matt Patricia is just such a more. I know he's not the play caller. He's a defensive guy. He's not the one calling plays. But him and, and Bob Quinn, they both come from the Patriots, and both of them have been on record multiple times this offseason saying, this is a committee system. We never want a workhorse back. We like a system where we can preserve our guys. Uh, so if he can do what he started to do at the end of last year, great. But you know, this isn't our, our style of system. That's that's always been what what uh, they they've run as a line. And then, you know, he wasn't really able to shake LeGarrette Blunt last year. Why would he be able to they bring in then CJ Anderson? I'm not sitting here saying CJ Anderson's this incredible world breaking talent, but he looked pretty damn solid there for a stretch with the, with the Rams was out producing the the hurt Gurley at the time and I would say it's not too much of a stretch to say he's at least better than what LeGarrette Blunt was bringing for the table so if he couldn't shake Blunt and he couldn't shake Reddick who was staring all the stealing all those receptions why would he suddenly be able to shake a better version of LeGarrette Blunt? Hopefully, yep. Riddick's gone. I know there's some rumors he might be on the roster bubble. That would certainly make me feel a lot better if he's gone. I just always get nervous of drafting guys that could be stuck in what I call between the 20s purgatory, where yep. Anderson comes in at the goal line and Riddick comes in on third down situations. And you get this guy that, yeah, he maybe sees those. 15 or so carries a week, but they all come from in between the 20s. And it's like, okay, he gets close to 100 total yards. But when you remove touchdowns and you remove receptions, that's a huge part of fantasy scoring. And I am a little wary based on that committee history, based on the comments from both Patricia and the owner, who I get, I, I, I know you're probably going to say they're not the ones calling the plays. But they yeah. will influence the weekly game plan. If they like a guy to not really have more than 12 to 15 touches a week, they're going to make sure that's heard and eventually make sure that's happening. I don't know. that If he can shake that history and that trend, great. But I am a little more nervous about C.J. Anderson and Riddick stealing those very valuable fantasy touches. Yep. So great points that you made there. Now, I'm kind of going to go into – I mean, you already refuted the theoretic thing where he definitely is on the roster bubble. They, they re-signed Zach Zenner. They don't need the theoretic, even though theoretic has the most receptions amongst all running backs since, like, 2014. It's, it's kind of crazy yeah. uh, where, the guy, where the guy just gets used as a scat back primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but you say that he really couldn't shake Blunt last year, and I don't necessarily agree with that because I don't think it was him – shaking blunt i think it was just him coming out as a rookie and you know patricia already going in with the mindset like hey we're a committee we're not really going to feature a workhorse back i get that but if you look at with jim bob cooter a guy that's notoriously known for stretching the verge stretching the seams with you know his his four vert concepts and all that Mm -hmm. cooter who's a high-flying offensive caller under him, you know, in week one to five, I'm going to go into Carrion's share here. From weeks one to five, when you know when Blunt was there, Carrion only saw double-digit carries just twice. 
He was averaging mm-hmm. 10 attempts a game, three targets a game, two and a half receptions, and he only had one rushing touchdown that time. But he was still the RB27, right? This is him as a rookie coming out playing second fiddle to a very inefficient blunt. He was still the RB27. Now you look at week six to 11. He had double-digit carries in four out of five games, jumped up to 13 and a half rushing attempts, four and a half, uh, 4.8 targets, actually, 3.8 receptions, three total touchdowns, and he was the RB15 and a half PPR scoring there. And that's just with 13.6 rushing attempts and three and a half receptions right there. And just with three total touchdowns. May I remind you that? Even if C.J. Anderson takes that goal line role, even if C.J. Anderson splits 40% of the workload here and carry on gets 50 and the rest of the 10 goes to uh, Zach Center, if, let's say, right? Even mm-hmm. if that 50% is still there for carry on, based on the volume increase, the total volume increase in terms of rushing attempts, in terms of targets to the running backs, where Daryl Bevel usually targets his lead running back about 42 times a year, I don't see him finishing outside of the top 12. It's just not going to happen just with that volume of touches. He was actually the RB16 last year, Nick, from weeks 1 to 11, if you extrapolate his entire season before he went down with injury. He was the RB16 despite mm-hmm. that start slow, uh, uh, slow start, despite that you know split work, and despite blunt vulturing those touchdowns. So just imagine what can happen with Daryl Bevel here. I, I hope so, man, and I hope so. But then the other question is like, is he going to be able to handle that volume? The second he started to become a workhorse last year, he broke down. And I'm not sitting here saying he's injured. No, he didn't. Of course. Week, he's out week 11 on. Like, he didn't play the rest of the season. <laughs> that was that, So that was an MCL injury. He didn't break down. That was a weird angle that he got tackled. I don't in, know. Sure. I'm just saying. It's I just wouldn't like, call that. I, I, I mean, I'm not a believer in injury prone. I'm just saying, like, as soon right. as he finally started to see usage... It maybe it's his running style that exposes him to awkward hits. It's not necessarily they broke down, but I, I don't know. I, it makes me nervous that he didn't see a ton of volume in it. And this, historically, Patricia comes from an offense that is always unpredictable and that their whole thing is about being unpredictable and having committees and sharing the work. So again, yep. if, if there's signs that he's going to be seeing that volume, and especially at the stripe, uh, then I'm going to be okay. If Riddick's cut, then I'm going to have a whole new opinion on this guy. Yep. But I just, I don't know, three-headed committees and offenses that aren't that inspiring in the first place. I mean, what are the Lions going to really finish in terms of total points? Probably around the bottom 20. I, I, when there's three cooks in the kitchen, if one of them's removed, I'm going to feel a whole lot different about it. But until Riddick's cut or until I know Carrion might see some goal line volume, I really right. struggle to see him getting the volume I think you're projecting him for. If he does, I'm with you. The talent's great. I think he's hyper-efficient. I think he's going to be great if he does see that. I still don't fully buy, even with Bevel there, and I know a lot of metrics point to it. I'm just yep. looking at this season with this team. I don't know if I see it. I, that's fair, man. That's totally fair. You know, I understand the, the bad offense argument here. Uh, but if you look at Kenyon Drake, who still finished as like the RB17, I think it was last year, and a team that ran the least number of plays in general. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that argument also is on shaky ground, uh, where even if it is a bad offense, I mean, that's good because carry on is a pass catcher and he's kind of game script proof where when they're behind, when they're well, trying to if, have if those Riddick's gone, that would be huge. Like that's what I'm saying. If he becomes right. that guy and it's games flow and he can be in there and those, that's what I'm nervous about right now though, is they get down early and it becomes kind of more of a Riddick show towards it. So again, if, if that's going to be carry on, I'll, I'll flip this switch pretty quick. When you yep. believe in the talent, I'm able to, you could convince me eventually, but until I know <laughs> that's him and not Riddick, I, I can't be ready to jump all in with you like this no doubt no doubt no that definitely makes sense man good points there uh, uh, let's you too no i like what you're saying like you're, you're you're convincing me like if 
the carry on you're envisioning, I see why you think it's a top 12. I really yep. hope that's the truth because I, I love him as a player and I would love it for fantasy to have that type of talent be unleashed that way. So I really hope oh, yeah. what you're saying ends up being true and we start to get signs of that in in um, camp. I'm in not camp, willing yep. to, to bet quite yet just because Bevel's history, it, you know, I, I, and I am a big believer in coaching trends and whatnot, but yep. I can't sink it in my, you know, that style pick where he's going and there's guys, I'm trying to think of some other running backs. I mean, isn't it in the same range as like Freeman and, and even Fournette? Isn't that kind of where carry on goes right now? Yeah, so Carrion's going right now at the 308. Devonta Freeman's going at the 307. Yeah. Uh, Derek Derrick Henry's going at 309 and Josh. Oh, Jacobs come on. Give me Derrick Henry. I, I would take Derrick Henry so far really? above any of these guys. Oh my and it's God. not even a, a, a are you, question. Are you, Nick, you're you're a Derrick Henry truther? Uh, I I've, I think it's just because I've like I've gone all in so many times. You know those guys that you like you can't stop, you can't quit. <laughs> I like to yeah. call it like it's like I can't quit you, Derrick Henry. I can't <laughs> quit him because I know as soon as I do, he's gonna have that like ridiculous sixteen hundred twenty touchdown season that I've been expecting of him. And I am a truther. I mean, when he gets the volume, he's done nothing but destroy and steamroll defenses. And I really think there's almost nothing in his way at this point. I think I mean Vrabel's already come out and said Arthur Smith, the new offensive coordinator, has already come out and said, you know, right. the way he rumbled at the end of last year we don't want to mess around we want to give him a chance to do that for the entire season so as long as he gets the opportunity I feel like when we've seen him get 20 plus touches I don't have the exact stacks we're not doing him but I feel like he's oh it's like one of those things you're getting 150 and two TDs and like you're like why is this not happening every single week why is DeMarco Murray still getting touches why is Deion Lewis still getting touches and now at this point I think I want to hope I want to believe that they finally realize like this guy is a mammoth built like no other. Let's feed him 20 times a game and watch him just get 100 in a, a team. I mean, he was the number one scoring running back once they did start to feed him for those last, yep. like, and obviously a lot of that's buoyed by when he just destroyed the Jacksonville, Jacksonville? Jaguars. Like, like just oh ruined God. the city of Jacksonville. You remember, you remember that one stiff arm on Miles Jack? Oh, I think my it good was, God. It is, that that's what I'm insane. saying. Like, that... When you see shit like that, it's like that's why I'm still a truther. No matter how many times he's burned me, makes sense. I if so, yeah. That's like, and I guess that kind of illustrates those guys. You're going carry on every time in that range. I wouldn't even think a uh, bat an eye to take Derrick Henry in that same price range. So I guess that's part of the argument for me too. Is where he goes. They're just guys I like a whole lot more. Interesting. See, I'm willing to reach for carry on even uh, yeah. early third, late second. That's kind of the range where I'm comfortable. I love it, him. man. It's uh, this yeah. will be an interesting one. We'll see. <laughs> gotta, this, we, we got we our bet board, little, right? Yeah. We got Hopkins on there. I think carry on is going to have to be carry on versus Henry. Why don't we put that one on there? Carry on I, versus Derrick Henry. One hundred percent down for that. Cool. So we got Hopkins. Yeah, perfect. We, we got to start typing this board up. We'll have a, a nice board by the end of the year and figure <laughs> out a prize. Maybe uh, the loser will have to. Come out to wherever the winner does, and we go out to like a steak dinner or something like that, like a nice that's, dinner. That's and, a great fucking idea. Yeah, something that's, like that. that. We'll we'll come up with like a total cumulative of all the bets. Whoever has the best record by the end of it has to buy the uh, the winner a steak dinner in their hometown or whatever. <laughs> I'm down. I'm, I, remember, awesome. I live in New York City, so things get a little pricey here. Per- <laughs> we only got like a six hundred dollar bet here now, aren't we? <laughs> I love it. All right, so let's uh, let's uh, let's move on to the next prediction. What do you got here, Nick? Uh, yeah. what, what are some of these guys? Absolutely. So uh, I listed a, a few names at once. It was hard for me to pick just one, and I don't think 
the prediction is actually fueled by picking just one because it's almost the concept of the prediction. But what I wrote was at least one of Daryl Henderson, Latavius Murray, Carlos Hyde, and Donta Foreman will finish the season as a top 12 running back. And wow. those are all guys. The reason I kind of lumped them in together was they're all guys that are going beyond round 9 and 10 right now. And again, so those are the names when you consider penny stocks who I think can blow up. Those are the running backs that I think genuinely have a shot to blow up. And the concept behind this is the, the handcuff idea of getting the guy in a absurd offense. I actually kind of want to throw Jalen Samuels or Benny Snell into this type of conversation as well. I just don't know which one it is yet. But mm-hmm. you look at these, you, you look at least two of those offenses, the Chiefs, number one in total points, the Rams, number two in total points, the Saints, four in total points, and any one of those systems just thrives on kind of that workhorse, three-down, multifaceted running back. So in that sense, like you got Damian Williams there with the Chiefs. I think he's the guy. I'm a believer in Damian Williams. I'm taking him everywhere mid-round two, and I love it. I, yep. I still believe in Todd Gurley for the Rams. I know you don't, but I know a lot of people don't, and he's a huge risk. But I, I still think he could be the guy. And obviously Alvin Kamara, a ridiculous beast of himself. So are there huge roadblocks to pretty much all those guys I listed outside Donta Foreman? Of course there are, but all it takes is one of them to go down, and I think you're getting a weekly top seven-ish style back if Carlos Hyde was the Chiefs workhorse, if Daryl Henderson becomes the Rams guy. And of all of them, I think Daryl Henderson has by far the most standalone appeal in that he could be a 12-12 back and still have Gurley on the field. It could be like that Ingram, Kamara, where both of them were top four running backs for the Saints just two seasons ago. I wouldn't be shocked to see that happen with the Rams this year. Uh, Saints, obviously, Kamara would have to be removed for Latavius Murray to... Well, maybe not, obviously. I just said Ingr- yeah. Ingr- Ingr- yeah. I just literally cited Ingram and Kamara were both top yep. five running backs two seasons ago. So you, we gave those awesome touchdown metrics. I know you said you know Latavius Murray, the most touchdowns since 2014 other than Todd Gurley, right? Something of that nature. Yep. Uh, yep. I mean, a, a guy that's probably going to stand alone. And, and that's uh, the other kind of... St- Part of this is at least a couple of those guys, Murray and Henderson in particular, are kind of what I call handcuffed with benefits that you probably are going to get some flex style value out of these guys even when the starter's there. But if the starter went down, you're looking at a top five, six weekly play. So when you go at round 10, this is more of the concept behind the bull prediction. You've got to find those guys where it's like they're going to be on your bench anyways. What is yep. the best case? What is the ceiling? And again, Daryl Henderson, Murray, Hyde, and Foreman – any one of those four. Foreman, kind of the only one here that maybe right from the start could be that featured guy. I know there's reports Miller's slimmed down. He's looking better. Miller's awful. I'm so (laughs) sick of him. And Foreman, there's tons of positive praise coming out for him. I more lump him in here because not so much the Texans were that explosive of an offense. They don't kind of fit that profile for last year. They were 11th in scoring. Not bad, but not in that top five range of those other three guys I listed. Right. But just two seasons ago, when when Watson was healthy, when they had all their weapons as rookie, they were averaging over 40 points a game. That's higher than what the Chiefs were doing last year. So I think there is a case for the Texans to get back into that top five. And whoever is the guy getting those scoring opportunities has top 12 upside. And I really hope it's Foreman. So that's kind of the concept behind is that late round maximize your ceiling what's the best case is whether it's an injury or not I think Murray Henderson and Foreman already come with some and Hyde if Williams goes down any one of those guys could be top five running backs by the end of the season in those roles yeah. I love loading my I'll have four backup running backs on my bench that's fine in, in that <laughs> sense I guarantee you at least one of those guys is top 12 maybe multiple yeah 
I, I totally like that. And, you know, just going off of Foreman there, you know, obviously Alfred Blue is no longer mm-hmm. in Houston. And Alfred Blue, who's a pretty underwhelming running back, I mean, he himself had 170 touches in this offense last year. Oh. So, so I mean, if you just think about how, how much more real, talented. That's horrible. That's horrible, Alfred right? Alfred Blue had 170 touches last year? Unbelievable. Oh, God. He had 150 <laughs> rush attempts. He only got 499 yards on those 150 rush attempts. And then of he saw not. 20 receptions for 154 yards. Oh. So crazy inefficient, but the volume was there. And like you had mentioned with this offense, I feel like it's going to be very explosive this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, with Titus Howard uh, at tackle now, gives a little bit more time to Deshaun Watson to kind sure. of stand and deliver a little bit. Um, and he'll have those plays where he connects deep with Hopkins and, and Fuller uh, and even Kuti over the middle. So I think that uh, the receivers coming back healthy, an improved offensive line, uh, Deshaun Watson is third year. I think that lends to Deontay Foreman mm-hmm. getting involved, whether Miller's involved or not. Uh, but with Latavius Murray, man, I love Latavius, Latavius Murray the most out of this group. Just because I was going to say, which is your favorite? Yeah, how would you organize this group? So Murray at the top? Yeah, so Murray at the top. And to be quite honest with you, I'd probably take Jalen Samuels before I take Carlos Hyde here. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because I know Jalen Samuels will be involved. I mean, he was dominant in that stretch where Connor did go down. He was getting peppered with targets, and I feel like in PPR format, Jalen Samuels could be a really sneaky guy that you can get at the back of the ninth round. He's going at the RB45 right now. Um, and then, I obviously, Carlos Hyde, he's part of the, the most explosive offense. Yeah. So you, you got to think about that value there where if Damian Williams does go down, Carlos Hyde is locked in RB12 at least. What, what do you think the Steelers would do if Connor is to go down? Do you think it becomes last year was the Jalen Samuels show? I know they drafted Snell, who's been a, a monster in the college game as a workhorse back. Do you think yep. that would become more of a committee? Or like what, what do you think the Steelers would do in that situation? So it's really interesting, right? Because obviously we saw Jalen Samuels take over as a lead dog, but there was really no one else there. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Benny Snell, you know, as much as I don't like his talent, I don't think he's that good, even though he did have that workhorse history where he was receiving like 250 touches a year uh, in college. I don't mm-hmm. think he's that effective, but given this offensive line and just given the run scheme that Tomlin likes to run and just all those together, I think both of those guys could potentially sustain value. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're getting an RB3 at worst out of both of them. Okay, I gotcha. Interesting. So, yeah. and you, you said you'd go Murray and then who would be, if you were like ranking them right now, if you're drafting today, what would be the order you take these guys? I take Latavius Murray first out of all of them. And yeah. I think that's reflected in his ADP because he's going mm. in the seventh round as the RB33. So I take Murray out of all of them. Uh-huh. Uh, next up, I would probably take Deonta. I want to say Deonta Foreman before Carlos Hyde, but I'm thinking just like in general where Carlos Hyde might have some standalone appeal. Um, where Damian Williams could be used as a primary pass catcher. Sure. And Carlos Hyde could have the early down work tied up. He's a really good running back still. I, I don't get how people don't think he is. Um, and I think Jalen Samuels will be lost just because I'm pretty confident that uh, Pittsburgh continues to ride their bell cow there. What about Henderson? Is he the last of the, all of them or Daryl Henderson? Oh, Where does he fit into that? that? So I know Darryl you, Henderson. yeah. <laughs> yeah, Daryl Henderson is actually right after Latavius Murray for me. Okay, cool. I totally forgot about him. Yeah, so it'll right. go Latavius Murray, Daryl Henderson, Carlos Hyde, Deontay, and then Jalen. Gotcha, yeah. I, I, he's the guy that no matter what I do in a mock draft, I take him every single time in like round seven or so just to remind myself, like, I'm getting this guy no matter yep. what, whether I own Gurley, whether I don't. Uh, when they compare him to Alvin Kamara, I don't think it's that ridiculous, especially when you look at the offense and how efficient and effective they are with their running backs. So Gurley's a great talent, no doubt, but 
this guy is a whole different level of explosive. So I can't wait to see just standalone-wise how McCoy, uh, McVay uses this guy. Never mind if Gurley's arthritic knee does end up flaring up and you, you got this guy as the focal point of the backfield. I think either way he's going to have a beastly season, but man, it, I foam at the mouth when I think about Daryl Henderson <laughs> as a round seven pick. Like There's no more upside than that guy, it, other than right. maybe Latavius Murray and the touchdown upside he brings, but I just the explosiveness of Henderson puts him to the top of this group for me, and then Latavius Murray quickly after. They're kind of like in a tier a little bit above right, these right. guys. I think they you can start them even without the starter being out, but if the starter was out, both those guys are just insane. So those are like the yeah. handcuff with benefits uh, to, clearly towards the top of that group, in my opinion. Yep. No, I definitely agree there. Um, I, I just wouldn't say that uh, Henderson is – uh, you know, more explosive than Todd Gurley. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't even compliment to Alvin Kamara. I do have problems when people do that. I don't think he has Alvin Kamara like abilities. I think Kamara is like a generational talent where he Henderson, yeah. he's, he's an explosive back, sure. And I think he's being put into a really good system. And I think he'll thrive based off that fact alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if Todd Gurley goes down, I think it's just, you've got a league winner on your hand. So totally agree with you there. Um, but let's move on to tight ends here. I mean, so the position that, you know, Many people kind of forget about, don't really like to talk about, and kind of have a hard hard time ranking uh, with tight ends as well. So my first bold prediction with tight ends, you know, if you looked at my rankings, obviously you saw that I had Jimmy Graham and Mark Andrews ranked in the top eight. If you haven't checked those out, go check those out on my Twitter and Instagram. Um, and I'm more not than talking about those. Are you kidding? I'm, yeah, I, I'm I saw that. Oh yep. man, Jimmy Graham. No, let's let we'll talk about those later. You have your prediction sure. you want to make now. If we have time, we'll talk about those two at the end. But yeah, oh man, yep. more than happy to talk about those. And I, I totally get that. You know, where people are like, "Why the hell do you have Howard?" I mean, why the hell do you have uh, Jimmy Graham and, and whatnot ranked in the yeah. top eight? But let's talk about OJ Howard, who's sure. actually the subject of my bold prediction here. I'm projecting OJ Howard to finish in the top three, mm-hmm. and people automatically assume the top three are going to be automatic finishes by Kelsey, Kittle, and Ertz. And I don't think that's as guaranteed or as much of a lock as you know people might assume. Because if you look at last year, right, Nick? Like, he finishes a tight on 11, O.J. Howard did. And he did that despite missing five weeks of the season, which is 33% of the entire season. He still finished as a top 12 RB, uh, uh, tight end. Mm-hmm. He only played 10 games. He only had a 7.6% target share. And he also got injured in week four, I mean, they had their bye in week five. He didn't really miss any time, but he still sprained his MCL, and he was back on the field in week six. And this guy was averaging 10, 10.5 fantasy points a game and half PPR, which was tied for fifth with Jared Cook, right? Mm-hmm. But if you look at per reception basis, this guy's a monster when he's targeted because he's getting three points per reception, which was number one amongst all tight ends, even, amongst, even above Travis Kelsey there. Mm. And... You know, if you look at the top 12 tight ends here, Nick, I mean, he's the only tight end in the top 12 to have less than 50 total targets. Mm-hmm. Just think about that for a second, right? For a right. guy to produce at that level with that limited volume, I mean, the next closest guy there was Vance McDonald with 66 targets. O.J. Mm-hmm. Howard had 48. So a whole 18 targets, yeah, 18 targets more, you know, and tight, and uh, Vance McDonald was still the tight end 12, one spot behind him. So just the metrics that O.J. Howard presents and he brings to the table, especially in a Bruce Arians attack where I get it, a lot of people are going to say that Bruce Arians has not utilized his tight ends traditionally, mm-hmm. but guys, he hasn't had a talent like O.J. Howard, someone that could be split out into the slot very easily and be targeted mm-hmm. 12 yards, 15 yards down the field, uh, no problem. So that's kind of my love for O.J. Howard. You know, I really feel like he could break into the top three. I think he's elite 
in terms of his talent and his fantasy production. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I'm with you all the way. I absolutely love O.J. Howard. I've reached to get him in round five or so in almost every single draft because of just how tantalizing he is. I've, I don't subscribe at all. It, me and you talk about coaching scheme and whatnot a lot, and there's, I, I'm a bigger believer in it than most. But there are yep. definitely outliers when you look at like what talent did this guy have versus what is he presented with now. I mean, he had to work with what, like Rob Houseliard and Jermaine Gresham over his Arizona career. He didn't really have much of a tight end presence. He had like Heath Miller, who's okay for a couple years right. um, over there in, in Pittsburgh. But still, that's Heath Miller. Like they're not six foot six. They're not two hundred fifty pounds, and they don't run four they're five forties. They're not faster than Mike Evans on their right. own team, which is just <laughs> insane. The size and speed this guy brings to the table. The fact that we've seen it routinely utilized as well over the last couple years. There hasn't been a better vertical seam stretching tight end than than OJ Howard. Uh, these last couple of years, you look at it, 16.6 yards per, per uh, catch in back-to-back seasons. That's absurd for a wide receiver, never mind a tight end, which is insane. And then Bruce Arians, you look at his offense, it's all about one, mismatches, two, getting vertical. There's not a better vertical mismatch weapon out there right now than O.J. Howard. The only concern for me, of course, is, is health. He's missed significant time these last couple of years. But if you were going to guarantee me 16 gains, I think top three is totally reasonable. So I, I'm fully on board with this one. I'm trying yep. to get O.J. Howard in every league because the, the upside he brings in rounds five or six I think is unmatched, and he could be a humongous edge at that position. So I, I'm all about it, and I love seeing people say, oh, you know, Bruce Arians hates tight ends. He's only going to go four wide, never use it. He's never had something like O.J. Howard. So I, I'd be, I can't wait to see how he uses this guy. And we had Trevor Sycamore right. on our podcast, a, a Bucks insider, um, and, and he was saying the, the one guy he thinks is truly going to explode this year is O.J. Howard, who's already been, again, he's already been exploding. He just hasn't been Made able up. to stay fully healthy for those years. He was just, he was gushing about how he's looked in spring and how fast he's out there and how he just like, how deep he's getting on his routes. I, I just can't wait to see what O.J. Howard does this year. I, I'm so pumped for yeah. him. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, talk about getting vertical uh, and going deep and, and going fast. I mean, this guy out of 34 of his receptions, 11 of them went for 20 or more yards. So that just kind of mm. speaks to the talent that he does have where he's yeah. really explosive. And I think Arians, even if he does choose to go four wide at most times, utilizes O.J. Howard being split out instead of in line. So I uh, totally Totally love this, man. I, I can't believe uh, you know a lot of people aren't seeing this. But let's move on to your tight end bold prediction here. This is a, a rookie that you're calling for. Mm-hmm. Who is this? No fan. I know rookie tight ends. I'll preface it. I understand there is almost zero track record of a rookie tight end ever producing anything meaningful, at least in terms of fantasy stats. So my back, I know I'm going against the grain here, but I think Noah Fant landed in the absolute perfect spot to immediately be a top eight fantasy tight end. Uh, You look at last year, George Kittle obviously has an absurd 88 catch, 1300 yard, five TD season. Um, it makes him a potential fantasy value of the year style candidate. And the best game of the year, he had a monster seven catch, 210 TD effort against none other than the Denver Broncos. And they go out and they make sure what do we need to go target and get is a seam stretching, yak dominating, tight end style guy, especially because they hire Rich Cangiarello of the 49ers where Kittle was last year, who is 
met with Elway and said, we need something like this in our offense. Uh, and, and Elway said, I think it was obvious the type of success Kittle had with Scangarello out there last year. Speed tight ends can be very effective in this style of offense. We need to go get one. So you look at 4 5 40, 6 4. We just talked about the athleticism of OJ Howard. No offense, yep. right up there in terms of a, an athlete. You look at Joe Flacco. I mean, there's tons of tweets about how often Joe Flacco loves his tight end. Over the last three years, he targeted his tight end on 23% of the throws, which was the fifth highest behind only Wentz, Alex Smith, Andrew Luck, and Mariota over these last four years. He just routinely peppers his tight ends with targets. Flacco's already out there gushing. All the reporters are already gushing. These two are connecting all the time. He's saying there's tons of opportunities for guys that can run after the catch, and Noah Fant can obviously run. Uh, There's just going to be so many chances, I think, for Noah Fant. You look at the weapons around him. I'm not a huge believer in Cortland Sutton. Emmanuel Sanders is you know, 30-something recovering from an Achilles. I love Sanders, but that's really tough to do. Uh, who knows what Deshaun Hamilton is? I, I don't see a whole ton of target competition here. I don't see a reason why Fant can't rake second, maybe even first, on the target totem pole here if he is able to quickly pick this up. Of course, as a rookie, adjusting the speed is hard. Uh, taking the hits every play as a tight end is even harder. But Fant has that athleticism to move all over the place, rack up yak in an offense that's going to design a lot. He's even been working out with Kittle this entire offseason. Both, you know, they, they must just breed tight ends over there in Iowa. He's been working out with him a lot, though, to kind of be like, what type of concepts will I see? You know, he's mentoring him and already getting an inside feel for this offense for a guy who played in it last year. I just think all of that's an unbelievable kind of recipe for a guy that goes outside of all the top 20 tight ends that pretty much goes undrafted when you do any type of mocks. Just toss him in there. You know, I know you're a believer this. There's no reason to take a kicker or a defense right now. Take nope. no offense. See how he's doing in training camp because I have a feeling, you know, as soon as he catches a 40-yard bomb down the seams in the first preseason week, everyone's going to be like, look at the athleticism. Look at the role. So as long as you have that opportunity, if you're doing any type of early drafts right now, and even if it doesn't spike, I'm telling you, top 10 ups here with Noah Fant, even as a rookie at the, the hardest position to translate to. I love him. I like it. Where, where do you have Noah Fant ranked right now? He's by tight end 10 right now, uh, yep. 14 spots higher than the, he's a tight end 24 in the right. ECR, the experts ranking. Um, right. So so I'm up there. I'd have him, I think, about right around 100 or so overall, uh, You know, right after I take, let's say, my quarterback, my Kyler Murray pick, if you will. <laughs> uh, I like to get Noah Fant, even if it is my backup tight end. He's, he's kind of like I view... Let's say I find a safe tight end, maybe Delaney Walker, something uninspiring. It's kind of like the Phillip Rivers for my quarterback. Then yep. Kyler Murray is my upside quarterback. Fant's kind of like that upside tight end that I think could just blow up right from the start. Yeah, I totally see that. I mean, especially with like a defensive-minded coach where, you know, I think Flacco is used to targeting the tight ends. But I think uh, Fant provides a lot more value as well in the block in the run-blocking game too, where mm-hmm. opening up lanes for Lindsey, opening up lanes for Freeman. Uh, so I think he'll be on the field pretty often, uh, and I think that just lends to him being involved as well a little bit more often than not. Uh, yeah. So I like that, man. That That's a pretty bold prediction because rookie tight ends don't usually pan out, but we did see with like Evan Ingram, you know, coming out in his rookie year, athletic freak, uh, coming out again, peppered with targets. I, I definitely think that... Something you know, like fans, that, yeah. Right. Fan could definitely break that mold, but... um. Cool. That was that do, was our show. Do you want to toss out your quick? Do we have time for a quick Jimmy Graham, Mark Andrews top eight? Oh man, I'll try not sure. to argue with you too much. I just want to give me the give me the lowdown. What do you love about so, these guys? Sure. So I'll give you the lowdown on Jimmy Graham. Okay. Okay. So so I want you guys to realize that uh, Matt Lafleur, as much as people want to say he's a Sean McVay guy, he's not. That's completely wrong. He's a Kyle Shanahan guy, right? And with 
okay, so with this offense, if you look at what he did in Tennessee last year compared to what he was doing in L.A. the year before, right? You guys remember Jared Goff and Sean McVay's first year together where Sean McVay would be like, hey, I have a headphone in, uh, in Jared Goff's uh, helmet so I can tell him how to audible, right? Sure. So who was really calling the plays there? Was it LaFleur as the OC or was it McVay as the head coach? Definitely McVay. Yeah, I'm with Definitely you. Definitely McVay, oh, right? Yeah. Right. So, and we kind of see that because once LaFleur left, the same offensive scheme was still there. So it was definitely Sean McVay's offense going three wide constantly at the highest rates in the league. But then you look at what um, LaFleur did. Okay. So in Tennessee in 2018, 11 personnel plays, they called at the seventh fewest at, out of all 32 teams, right? Mm-hmm. One RB, one tight end, three wide receivers. They only called that 58% of the time. They called 12 personal, personnel plays meaning with two tight ends 26% of the time, which was the fourth highest, only behind Houston, Philadelphia, and KC. And then 13 personnel plays, that's three tight ends on the field, one wide receiver, one running back. They call that 13% of the time, which was the second highest, only behind Cleveland. Okay, If you look at the moves that LaFleur's made as well, where he's tried to pick up tight ends in free agency, I mean, Michael Roberts, that, that kind of was a, was a wash, where he got cut because of a due, uh, due to fail physical, but he's picked up a... A couple of names. They drafted a Jason draft- Sternberger, is that his name? Yeah. Jay Sternberger, who I think could be uh, – I have him good pretty athlete. high in dynasty rankings, absolutely. Uh, but he's a good blocker as well. And I think LaFleur utilized that H-back role a lot more often than not, especially with Jimmy Graham uh, near the goal line. He, Jimmy Graham was being used in the slot. And at his age right now, that's not going to work. He's, he's not separating well. And I think LaFleur knows how to put his guys in the best position possible. And combine that with the fact that Aaron Rodgers needs to get the ball out quick, right? That's going to be an emphasis now in this offense where you need to get the ball out quick. You can't punish your offensive line by holding on by four or five seconds. I think Jimmy Graham is a really good H-back who could clip a defensive end or who could clip a linebacker on his way out to the flat, get a nice little dump off from Rodgers and, and do something with it. Uh, and, of course, the mismatch weapon, he's still mismatched towards the end zone with Aaron Rodgers throwing 25 touchdowns on a hobbled leg last year. I think that only goes up this year, and I think Jimmy Graham gets a big chunk of that as well. Uh, my only question would be, like, why would you use Graham as the H-back instead of just, like, one of the running backs themselves? LaFleur and them have always been so much about peppering the running backs that it would be yep. much more dangerous after the catch than a Jimmy Graham or one of the their two more athletic freak tight ends uh, that, you know, Jay Sternberger, great run after the catch threat. Uh, who, who was the rookie last year? He had a couple, like, beastly – I can't remember his name. He had a few great catches uh, down the seam. And all the, there's been a ton of training camp hype about him. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, I don't know. You, you brought up a couple points that I think go against Graham is that he's facing a little more competition this year. He wasn't really doing it last year when he had let less numbers and, and mouths there to feed. And it is a more Shanahan scheme than it is uh, a LaFleur scheme. I mean, a McVay scheme, that's fine. But even Shanahan, outside of Kittle's monster year, hasn't really had these these offenses, whether it was Jake and Tammy or Austin Hooper when he was with the Falcons. John right. Smith last year. I mean, none of the Titans, t- tight ends really did. Not that John Smith's a great talent, but he had, what, 258 yards and three TDs I'm looking at right here. I I yeah. don't know if the fact that it's a McVay versus a, a Shanahan versus which one is LaFleur more matters so much as the fact that I don't think Jimmy Graham's that good anymore. I think they have a lot of better talent around him. And Rodgers just, for whatever reason, whether it was the Mike McCarthy scheme, whether Rodgers just doesn't like tight ends, there really hasn't been a useful fantasy tight end in Green Bay since like Jermichael Finley 10 years ago. So yep. I don't know. I just, 
to to me, there's just a lot more intriguing upside where Graham goes. I I don't know if I see the ceiling that you're seeing here. I see the touchdown upside here only because, you know, he was being utilized pretty poorly in this offense uh, last year where he was primarily running his routes out of the slot where he ran 535 of them out of the slot third out of all tight ends, and he had 36 slot receptions, which was fourth out of all, all out of all tight ends. I don't think that happens. I think he's used more in line, more as an H-back, and I think he ha- he can still separate in the end zone where he does provide that mismatch. And like you mentioned with the running backs, it's always better to have other options as well, um, and especially with Jimmy Graham, a big guy. He's probably the biggest guy on the team uh, near the goal line. I think Aaron Rodgers looks to target him pretty I often. I can see that. I can. T- I mean, when you get, you put the ball wherever you want, and you got a six-five guy that's historically used his body well in the red zone. Just a couple seasons removed from dominating with the Seahawks last year in that that regard. I I wouldn't be shocked to see him put up good touchdown totals. But even that year with the Seahawks, when he was putting up you know eleven, twelve, whatever it was, touchdowns. I think he led the league in, in red zone touchdown yep. percentage that year. It still was one of those things where, like, if he didn't catch a touchdown, he had maybe one catch for five yards, and your your lineup was ruined. And I get tight end; that's kind of yep. what we're looking at as a position whole. But I'd rather have a stab at a guy that might have some yardage upside, or you know, Noah Fant, for example, if they're going around the same area. I'd rather have someone that could be a potential do it all style guy versus just a, a red zone threat, which I think Jimmy Graham isn't much more at, at this point of his career. Totally get that. And, you know, I do want that floor of my tight end as well. But uh, great, great valid points there. Um, I think yeah. Jimmy, I think Jimmy Graham is someone that I could target as like my second tight end, potentially see if he has that upside. Would you take uh, him above like a Noah Fant? Like, is that? Yeah, 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 yeah 100%. 100%. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, hopefully I can convince you otherwise by the end of the season because <laughs> before the, the season hopefully. starts, I, re- I really think Noah Fant brings a ton more upside to the table than Jimmy Grant, especially when you're looking for your your second tight end. Like, do you really want just a tight end, touchdown-dependent guy rotting on your bench or the guy that could be the that's vein kind of, of what, the passing attack? That's kind of what tight end position is, right? It's just I touchdowns know. in general. Unless you like, get that one vein, like an O.J. Howard, who could go all over the place, and yep. that's what Fant could be. Instead of a, an old, aging, on-his-way-out guy that might catch 10 touchdowns, but you don't know when they're coming, I don't know. I, yeah. I give you the guy that could be the one that's just the focal point of the the passing game, which could be no offense. Very, very fair. Very fair there. <laughs> good, good. Cool, man. Always as always, man. I always love always. going back and forth with you. Always. That, this, the show is awesome. I really enjoy talking shop with you, man. I like going back and forth with you. I hope the listeners like it too. It, it's always like it's already it. over. I was just like, what was that, 30 minutes? I look, it's like an hour and it's 10 like an minutes hour. are down. Jesus. Right. <laughs> I never realized how much time we've been talking together. Yeah, it's always Bro, great. We, we could talk shop for hours, man. Literally, think, we could, uh, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, so why don't you let both of our listeners know where to find your podcast, where to find your socials, and I'll do the same right after. Absolutely, man. So again, this is the uh, the Wolf of Roto Street. The Fantasy Fullback Dive is my standalone pod uh, podcast, which you can find at ffbdpod.com or ffbdpod on Instagram. You can find our main umbrella, which is Roto Street Journal, at rotostreetjournal.com, Roto Street Journal on all your socials, and me personally, at Roto Street Wolf on Twitter. So hit me up, like the podcast, listen to it. Uh, you'll hear this one on, on our podcast as well because I love recording this. We have tons yep. of good like beat writers coming on, tons of other good fantasy experts coming on throughout the summer. Uh, so, so I'm stoked. So hopefully, if, you, if this is your first time listening, we you can come find us over at the FFBD Pod as well.
Dope, man. Dope. I can't wait. I know, uh, you know, I listen to Trevor Shikamel podcast. I listen to a couple of those other beat writers that you had on. Uh, really good content there. So make sure you guys go follow. That, man. Yeah. Make sure you guys go follow the Fantasy Fullback Dive podcast. Make sure you guys follow Roto Street Journal. These guys do amazing work. Uh, great articles. Give me inspiration for some of my stuff as well. So uh, other than that, you guys can find me at Draft Room Pod on Twitter, Instagram, wherever. Get in touch. Get my DMs. Let me know if you guys need advice or uh, if you want me to explain myself as far as a couple of the guys that you heard me talking about today. Um, but also, you know, go visit draftroompodcast.com. Uh, we actually just finished our signed Todd Gurley jersey giveaway. We're going to be starting another signed jersey giveaway very shortly, so stay nice. tuned for that. Don't want to miss it. I'm really excited uh, to, to send this Todd Gurley jersey out to, to the winner, uh, who I don't know who is yet because we're actually recording on Sunday, and I picked the winner tonight at 12. So. Ooh. That's going to be exciting. That's exciting. But, Good stuff, man. Hell yeah, man. No, uh, and, and, other, and any of my listeners who heard that for the first time, Sammy's just like one of the best up and coming, just like bright, unique, doesn't, I, I love that you don't follow the consensus, but you always have your reasonings for not, it's not your, your whole hum, just like usual. You have your, your advanced analytics, your stats that you believe in and you justify things. As, as you're listening to this podcast, you could, hopefully my listeners could tell this guy brings his heat. He has his takes and they're very well reasoned. So even when I disagree on say carry on, I can see why he believes in him. And by the end of the season, we'll see who's right. And it's good to hear both sides of that. And then Sam, he always gives a very well researched and, and unique opinion. So that's why I love shooting this fantasy shit with you, man. It's always a good time. You always oh, bring yeah, the heat. Dude. So all day, all day. And I can't wait to have that steak dinner, man. I, I, I'm, I'm going to love a nice filet. I'm making room for it. It's going to be I'm great, making room. dude. I'm going to get that porterhouse for two, all right? <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Bone and filet. That's what I'm looking at, I think. There you go. There you go. How, do you, how, do you take your, how do you take your steaks? Medium rare, of course. Medium Come on. Rare? Are you a savage? Yeah. Don't tell me. No, 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 no. no. I'm not okay. a savage. I'll take it like medium. I'll well take done. Medium. <laughs> yeah. No, no, medium's no, no, good. Medium's fine. I'll okay. take medium. I just don't like too much pink, and I don't yeah. like the blood. I, like, I'm not a blood guy, so I'll take the medium. I like a little bit of chewiness, but there you um, go. Yeah, man. That's acceptable. Medium's acceptable. I, I but that, you, you can medium buy your own medium for yourself, and then I'll get my medium <laughs> rare on you. It's it's cool. That sounds good. Okay, no doubt, man. I'm <laughs> to do it. All right, guys. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you guys next time. And until then, stay fresh. All right, thank you again, Summy, for joining us from the Draft Room Podcast at Draft Room Pod. If any of you listeners missed that the first time. Make sure you give him a follow. Make sure you give him some interaction. He is one of the best up-and-coming minds, I think, in the business. Thanks again. Those f- takes were hopefully fire and insightful for you guys to listen to. And again, if you didn't know where to find me, at Roto Street Wolf. This is your first time on the Fantasy Fullback Dive. I hope you enjoyed enough to give us a review, give us a subscription. We'd love to have you on here for the next few months as we pave that path to 2019 Fantasy Football Glory. Wolf is out. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, 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 oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show. 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 Second effort, third effort, touchdown! Oh. That's pretty awesome. That's old-fashioned football right there, folks.